This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my purple-haired co-host, Brie Tucker. <laughs> Why, hello, hello. How are you? As we learned in a previous episode, purple hair means Brie is calm. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm, I, my hair is its own mood ring. I thought you were going to say tangly because I'm sitting here tangly. like running my fingers through it. Like, don't you hate it when you're doing that and you find this one little knot and you're like... Huh. Yeah, or yeah. like me, I have so much anxiety about my hair all falling out and thinning. I'm like, no, here comes more hair, and oh. I'm gonna be bald. And here <laughs> I just go, I just rip it out by handfuls. So I'm like, Ugh. and all I'm right, like, well, here we go. Google hers for women. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen those commercials, Hers for Women? With no. Jennifer? Well, it's Jennifer Lopez, first of all. Oh, really? And uh, it's like She's a hair, hair regrowth. It's kind of like Rogaine, but they've rebranded the like Rogaininess of it. It's not that's Rogaine. A, that's a good idea. But, but yeah. They made it for women and just to keep illustrious hair. And every, I think it's like pandemic related or it's anxiety related. Tell me, like, guys, You're... write to us. Tell us, like, if you have hair loss as well or like you feel like your hair is just getting thinner and thinner and you can't even make it into a braid anymore. I, I know it's got... <laughs> You were the third person to bring that up, though, in yeah. the last two weeks that I've talked to that's experiencing hair, having it. And I think it totally is related to stress. It is probably. And also, I mean, maybe just us getting older. I don't know. Because I do have those baby fine hairs right near the hairline where it looks like things are growing back. Oh. And I'm like, okay, well, this is weird. <laughs> like, That's that's a gift for Mother's Day. Gift give for us, Mother's Day. Give hair us all loss. beautiful, beautiful hair. Give us, you know what? Just give me a good hair day in general. Good. I hate to say that, but a good hair day makes me feel good. Yeah, well, so. yeah, unless you have anxiety about it all falling out. <laughs> Motherhood. No, I know. Oh, my goodness. No, but uh, we have a great interview for you today, too. It is, I was a little bit of a super fan on this one. <laughs> I was like, Mona, I'm so excited to talk to you. It is Dr. Mona Delahook. And she has a new book out. It's called Brain Body Parenting How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start Raising Joyful and Resilient Kids. 
Uh, and it's going to blow your mind. She has a totally different perspective about it. She's a psychologist, a child psychologist, and she also is the author of another book, which is how I found her at first, Beyond Behaviors and the New Brain Body Parenting. Uh, she's a mom to three grown kids ranging from 26 to 34 years old. So that mom who's who's ahead of us, who can tell us what it's going to be like. Oh, I know. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs that mom friend. Mm-hmm. So and- I tell you, it doesn't stay that way forever. Mona is trying to shift the lens and change the paradigm of how our world views challenging behaviors. And And I think she's pretty successful. It's unbelievable. Her work, it's going to blow your mind. I can't wait for you to hear it. Here is Dr. Mona Delahook. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids. And we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. Welcome, Mona, to our podcast. We are so, so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you, Joanne. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I mean, I was telling you before, I was kind of like, I'm kind of a, a Dr. Mona Delahook super fan because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as soon as I read your book, your first book, Beyond Behaviors, um, mm-hmm. it, it really changed how I thought about how I was reacting to my son's rather big emotions and having, trying to calm him down. And it just, it was such a change in my parenting. So I am super excited for this discussion. A lot in your story, you say how you were practicing and then you realized how much the body really was a factor in how kids behaved. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and especially like how you changed your practice once you discovered this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I've been, a, I've been a child psychologist for almost 30 years now. So it's been a long time, but after about a decade Um, I was seeing, uh, you know, teenagers and adults, and I kept on hearing stories about stuff that happened when they were younger, like even when they were toddlers, that I wished their parents would have known. And so at that point, um, I had just had my first child, and I'm like, the field of psychology doesn't really they're all about talking. You can't put a toddler on a chair and just say, tell me your problems. (laughs) And so I took five years off and I studied like infants and toddlers development, which is basically studying the body and the brain. Because again, all those behaviors and reactions in infants are from the body, right? It's what their little bodies need. Then I realized once I went back to practice with this new, new understanding of the nervous system, which is basically how the body feeds information to the brain, causing our behaviors and our emotions. um, I realized that the way I was practicing was completely different. And the way I was parenting was completely different than how I was trained, which was basically to focus on behaviors, to focus on talking and logic and timeouts and sticker charts and you know, um, viewing behaviors as, you know, annoying or a child trying to get negative attention and all that. Mm -hmm. And I shifted it to see behaviors from a a new lens, essentially, that they aren't all those things that they really uh, signify so many things that could be even on a much deeper level. 
And that's how I, um, yeah, that's the story of how I shifted the way I practiced and uh, the results were so much better. And that ended up in my book, um, Beyond Behaviors, where I in- encourage us to not just look at behaviors, but to look what lies underneath them, like they're the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And your idea of this uh, neuroception, which you talk about in the book, yeah. about how like our brain perceives certain events. As soon as I, I learned that I started talking with my daughter who is 13 and she has this fear of uh, bumpy car rides. Every time we get into the car, she's like, is it going to be bumpy? Is it going to be bumpy? And she'll like ask my husband to slow down because she feels it's too bumpy. And we've been kind of been like, oh, like you just have to deal with it and you'll get used to it. As soon as I learned about neuroception, I'm like, you know what? I bet she is experiencing something completely different than we are experiencing in the car. And it was just such a like light bulb moment. I love that example. (laughs) Yes. This is what, oh, I'm just, I just love that example, Joanne, because what you, that light bulb moment is a, a very important thing. I think for us parents to understand is that our children and each of our children aren't going to experience things in the same way in their bodies, the same way we do. Mm-hmm. And something like a bump in the car ride to her body and to her brain and to her memory system, that isn't a pleasant experience. And just to acknowledge them, to understand like, oh, this isn't just some random weird thought she's having. It's actually how she feels. That's beautiful. And I think it takes a lot of shame away from kids as well. Once they learn about that, because now it wasn't like she's holding everybody up by doing something. Or like when we went to Disneyland, she didn't want to ride the roller coasters with her friends because they seriously scared her. And it's all due to like this way she perceives movement in her body. Yes. It's due to her neuroception and the another word in interoception which is those the feelings from deep inside our bodies that we experience when we are in certain situations and it's not a choice it's, it's like a, choice. a basic feeling that you get in your gut right and i think that the oh my goodness the research on that is so powerful because so many children who experience Um, and adults too, who experience feelings inside their gut, inside their body, those feelings aren't positive and they can go and get checked out by medical professionals like GI people. Sometimes if it's landing in your gut and they're saying, no, nothing's wrong. Now we're understanding that you can have this feedback up from your body. That's really how you're wired, how your body is perceiving. Maybe some of us have more higher sensitivity levels to certain things and Mm -hmm. to appreciate that and think that this isn't weird or scary or, you know, give children the, the idea that they're overreacting is such a gift. And I really love how you guys are talking about that because an example that I'm going through in my head is just thinking about how I have a terrible fear of heights. I get the vertigo and all of that. Anytime I'm in that situation, I'm just looking at you, Joanne, because you know this, but I can't think of anybody coming to me and saying that's stupid, that's silly, or saying like, you know, you just need to get over this. You just need to come on, just do it anyways. Most people do tend to like honor that. You'll honor it for me because I'm an adult and I can use the vocabulary and explain to you, I get vertigo. It makes me dizzy. I get weakness in the knees. I realize that I'm not going to fall off a ledge when I'm 20 feet from it, but still just being this high bothers me. And because I have those skills, people don't question it. They don't, um, 
make it any less, Mm -hmm. but as for our kids, they don't know how to, how to explain it. They don't know how to understand it. And so like you just were saying, like we might, we often tend to just brush it off because we're like, Oh, you know, they're making a big deal out of nothing. Yes. Oh, Brie, that's so beautiful because like you said, you can narrate it. You narrate the shaky legs, the physiological response, the vertigo, which is the actual something that's happening in your body. You're not Mm -hmm. imagining it. It's real. Um, and our children don't have that skill yet. right? Right. And, and they don't, they don't, all they know is that they want to avoid it. So I love that you're giving that example that we are more legitimizing of adults who can express it, but it's this body's reaction to stuff that is, again, it's, it's the, like, like, I'm sure you've told yourself a million times, I'm not going to fall off the ledge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't stop your body from having these reactions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Clarendon for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. You have probably heard me talk about my dog, Addie, before. And when we first got her, we didn't know that she was a counter surfer. Now, counter surfing animals are the ones who jump on counters, especially kitchen counters, when you're not looking and take stuff off of them. Well, in this instance, Addie had jumped onto the kitchen counter and eaten an entire bottle of my other dog's pain medication. You can imagine the freak out that ensued from me. So imagine this. You're at the vet's office again, knowing that vet care costs continue to rise. You're anxiously waiting to hear how expensive the bill will be. But If you had pet insurance, your pet could be covered for accidents or illnesses. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care that they may need. They allow you to customize the plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. Because vet bills can really add up, especially 
when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. And would you say like when we don't legitimize these things in kids, it could lead to like bigger like outbursts and meltdowns that we see from them? I think so. And let me fr- let me first say that we do our best as parents. And if no blame, no shame, it's like I I... <laughs> I would do that so much before I knew, oh, you're over, you're overreacting, you know? And I know my mom probably said that to me because she, I was a sensitive child and she had no way, no other concept other than you're overreacting. Everything's fine. You'll be okay. Don't worry, honey. (laughs) You know? And so if you do that as a parent, please know you're not alone. We all are doing the best we can, but I do think it's helpful for us to really take seriously when a child is telling us that something's uncomfortable Mm-hmm. or they're scared of something to really um, try to honor that without immediately trying to convince them that it's not such a bad thing. So I think, that I, it, I think so. That is the hardest thing to do because sometimes it seems like, I mean, I'm speaking for a lot of parents out there. My kids come to me with a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that's bothering. I think and a lot of us feel like, like that. You yeah. don't, you don't know where it is where, okay, we need to dig into this more versus you really need to get to bed. Like if you don't get to sleep, <laughs> we're not going to have a good morning. And like, that, yeah, this body, that, that balance yeah. is so hard. It's so hard as a parent. It's so hard, but to your credit, there are times, and that's another, that's a concept I talk about in the book, the body budget, legit for adults and for kids. There are times when our body budget is just shot and talking about something, no matter what it is, is not going to help much with what you need to do is shut down or, or go to bed or start the bedtime routine or have something to eat, you know? So it's true. It's, it's, it's so hard. It's like surfing to be a parent. I mean, you're always like just trying to find what that balance is and trying to help your child ride that wave. And yeah. Well, something that I loved in your book, Brain Body Parenting, is when you talked about the body budget and how you you make deposits or you you take out things like just like a regular budget, but how it's equally important for parents to monitor their own body budget as it is for the kids' body budget. That's right. Absolutely. Because we are the best tool in the tool chest, like our physical bodies, <laughs> how how calm we feel inside and how steady and sturdy we feel inside is essential. It's not like a side note. It really, we matter so much and we're stretched. It's like the basis for everything. Whereas if we, as moms aren't like in a good place, there is no way that we have the patience to actually ask, figure out what our kids are needing in that time and figuring out like, 
everything. So I, I love the idea of the body budget and I'm applying that to my own life as well. Oh, <laughs> that's so great. Oh. Now we, as parents, we have, we have self-regulation skills and techniques, but a lot of times it's really hard to teach those self-regulation things to our kids, because again, it, it I think it, cause it relies on talking, but, uh, oh. You, I know in brain body parenting have these great ways that you can help kids self-regulate that we as parents can help kids self-regulate first. What do you feel parents need to know about self-regulation in kids? Oh, I, I love that question because self-regulation is kind of a, and co-regulation, they're kind of buzzwords right now in the parenting field and, and they're great words, but I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what it, what is it, you know, what does it mean and how do we nurture it in our kids? And so I think um, the, the first thing I want parents to know is that there's this, this legit, um, experience that we are all having, it's called the expectation gap, where we actually think children have more self-control over their emotions and their behaviors than they really do. Especially if your child is a toddler and like under six years old, but even in middle school, I mean, we are, we expect children because they can walk and talk and they seem so logical some of the time that they should always be able to pull that down and just self-regulate. And they did a huge study that found that great parents, like all of us, overjudge how much regulation a kid should have. So that's one thing I want parents to know. Be, be, um, don't be upset if you feel like your child should have more control than they do over their emotions, because that's a work in progress. So the other thing I want parents to know is that we don't really teach self-regulation. We, we grow it, we nurture it. And the way we nurture it is through our relationship with our children. So in that, in that understanding, it's not like we can read them a book about self-regulation or, or uh, do things like teach them how to breathe and do yoga with them, which are great activities. Those are, I mean, I think they're wonderful and those self-help books are fine, but that's not the core of self-regulation is that it's what we call an embodied experience and you experience it with another person, with your parents or your caregivers or whoever's taking care of you. And the way you really develop it is through having someone by your side when you're distressed, when your body is distressed and having another person help you feel calmer through their presence. So that's the core of self-regulation is co-regulation with other adults who who see you and who witness it and share their calmness with you. That is such a good distinction because I hear self-regulation and I'm like, oh, this is something that the kid needs to learn by themselves. Yeah. When yeah. really that's not the case at all. No. Like you it's need the, to be able to seek that out. Yeah. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's the biggest misconception about self-regulation out there is, and the word has self in it. So I get that, you know, it's, where do we hear the definition of it? You know, it seems like this is something that should automatically happen once the kid reaches a certain age, but yeah, it's really a long process. And frankly, um, many adults don't have good self-regulation skills yet. And many adults can, uh, can learn them (laughs) too. It's never too late. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about nurturing this co-regulation and self-regulation in our kids. What is like one of the first things that parents can do? 
Yeah. So there, like, there's three main things parents can do. And the first one is what we had just talked about in the beginning. And that is just observe ourselves, nurture our own calm state, know where you're at. If your child does something and you get triggered automatically, and all of a sudden you're just feeling upset and angry and you want to say or do something to them, just observe without judgment and realize that wow, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm triggered by this. And as we all are sometimes. So the first step is really understanding that self-awareness for us as the caregiver is really the, the most important first step because the way, again, the way we build self-regulation is through our sharing our calmness with our child. So that doesn't mean that we, you know, when they, when they need us to correct them, when they need discipline, it doesn't mean that we let them do whatever they want to do. It just means that we are recognizing that we need to stay calm enough to face that situation. So, and sometimes it's extremely hard to stay calm as a parent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Extremely hard. And that's where we need to take a break, right? We need to take some breaths or walk into another room, make sure the child's safe, or just give a mantra to ourselves because it's so, you are going to lose it. We all lose it at times. I think it's part of being a human, right? We're not always calm. It just doesn't work that way. But Mm -hmm. I think the awareness helps us uh, because if we can, if we can tell when we're on the initial phases of our amping up and take care of ourselves before we have a full blown adult tantrum, that's useful. <laughs> yeah. I think it also gives a really great example to our kids when we can notice those feelings in ourselves. And we're like, okay, I noticed like my stomach is really clenched up and I'm about to yell and lose it. So I need to go in the other room right now. Right. Cause I mean, it's important. I think that's a huge thing right there, especially when you're talking about the body's I don't want to say warning signals, Mm. but like the body's signals that it's giving you, our kids don't understand what that is. Like you said, that, that expectation gap is huge. Cause I just thinking there are so many times that I have to keep reminding myself that my, like my 13 year old sometimes acts like she is 16. And then other times it's like, we've got like 10 going on and I have to constantly remind myself, I can't have these high expectations because she is only 13. Mm -hmm. She does only have so much of this and that sometimes she doesn't realize the messages her body is sending her, even though we talk about it, I, it's, it's a learning thing. We got to keep doing it. We got to keep giving them the, the examples so that they know what, when it happens to them, oh, it might be this. Hey all, it is Joanne and Brie here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. 
And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, I love that, Brie. Yes, yes. Again, it's it's a pretty big deal to be aware of your body's sensations. It's a new language for many of us, right? For many adults and certainly for our kids. So the other thing I love about what you just said is that sometimes she can act like she's 16 or maybe even 18. And then other times there she is like an eight-year-old again or a 10-year-old. And that is part of development too. So we can understand that as parents, we can't expect them to always be at the top of their box because development doesn't work that way. Development is very up and down and very um, dynamic in real time, right? It's not stable. This is how it works. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. give ourselves that grace. Sometimes. Sometimes we give ourselves <laughs> we, that we grace. We try. Very self-critical. <laughs> we aim for it. So observing ourselves is one of the first things we can do. And then the second thing we can do is really understanding when we're observing our child. So the first thing we do is observe ourselves. The second thing is we observe our child. And then we ask ourselves the question, is my child doing a purposeful misbehavior and, you know, doing something that's on purpose or are they having a stressful time right now? So, you know, this question about, okay, what am I observing? Because we know behaviors are the tip of the iceberg. They're not the whole thing. We want to know if this child is doing something that is going to need us to be a sturdy parent and set limits, um, such as, you know, thinking about walking over, uh, they're watching TV and they're not supposed to go in the kitchen, go into the kitchen and eat a big, huge cupcake that was reserved for their sibling birthday party. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. That would be a behavior that's kind of limit testing, kind of creative and kind of like, uh, but that same child who, you know, they're, they're sitting there and all of a sudden you say, it's time to turn off the video and they just they just scream and their face gets red and they start to cry and, and it happens in seconds. 
that's a stress behavior. So we really want to know the difference between what with that top-down behavior of taking the, eating the cupcake when they know they're not supposed to. And then that Mm -hmm. what we might commonly think about as a tantrum is not on purpose. That is the body in stress, the body in motion. And um, so when we know the difference between the two, we can help build self-regulation because then we're not just punishing all behaviors. We're knowing when the child needs us to support them. Yeah. I love that example you give of like purposefully eating a cupcake reserve for the other sibling. Like that's so specific and so obvious that it's not a stress. So many of us can relate to that having happened. It may not have been a cupcake, but it is something like that has happened in our I probably did something like that to my my sister honestly. Oh, honestly, I'm sure we all did. <laughs> no, like the stress response too, um, it appears a lot at nighttime mm-hmm. is something that I have noticed and something that has totally changed how I deal with my son when he is eight. <gasps> and lately when he goes to bed, he'll lay there and he'll get very stressed out about not being able to fall asleep oh. uh, because he wants to make sure he wakes up early enough in the morning. So he has enough time in the morning and he'll come to me and he'll be like, I can't fall asleep. And before I'm like, okay, just try again. And it'd be like an hour of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But since reading your work, I was like, okay, you can't fall asleep here. Cuddle in right here. I'm just reading. You can just like relax. Mm. That has worked so well. Uh, And him just being able to relax beside me. And I don't know what exactly oh. might be going on, but maybe you could explain a little bit more why this might be working for us. Yes. But then he's able to get up he's, and go back to his bed. He, he actually that. falls asleep beside me. And then I kind of wake oh. him up. I'm like, Hey, you fell asleep. And he's like, okay. And he went, he goes back to his room, falls asleep. Oh. It's just beautiful. And and I think that's a really good example of co-regulation. It's like you're you're seeing that, you know, the the way that you tried before, which is a good, it's a good shot. Hey buddy, it's all right, just go try again, you know. But that was taking an hour, like he was actually needing more support. So what you did was you were flexible enough, Joanne, to allow him to just sit by you and feel your presence. You were doing your work or just you're calm, but he felt your presence. His body is relaxing next to you. And then you wake him up and he walks over to his bed. I guarantee you, eventually he's going to be in his bed by himself. He's not going to need that step, but how amazing. And he is, is. it only took like two weeks. Oh yeah. But and you, you already saw the results. You know, the, the difference though, because I've tried before, like, I'm like, Oh, I'll just stay in bed with you. Yeah. And I realized that it wasn't working because he was then anticipating me leaving him. Yeah. And so he'd be very sensitive to any movement I had. And oh, I wasn't yeah. happy there because I'm like, Oh right. my gosh. Cause like, you're how thinking much how much longer. Yes. And I can, <laughs> yeah. 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 And But as soon as I was able to switch it to something I was like reading mm-hmm. and happy doing, and I was calm. I was able to get, I love that flexibility. And I think parents like that, that exact thing might not work for every parent, but what, what it illustrates is that you were flexible in trying different things to see what helped your child's nervous system. And I think that that helped his nervous system. A, the proof is in the pudding. He's, it only took about two weeks. (laughs) And uh, from a neuroscience perspective, I think I understand why when you would sleep there with him, his brain was trying to predict what your movements meant. So a movement could have been, she's going, she's leaving. So he was still kind of hypervigilant. He was like thinking, but when it was under his control, his brain remembered 
I walked myself to bed. And so he wasn't as he was more relaxed in his physical body. So everything we do, like all of our interactions with children are kind of helping them form how their brain is interpreting a situation. It's so amazing. <laughs> it's really yeah, cool. It's, cool. it's really it's cool. cool. What, what is your third thing that you recommend parents? So do? the third thing might sound counterintuitive, but it is the research on this is so incredibly big is like relaxing. And if we can just a little bit playing with our kids, especially, you know, from birth to 10, like having some moments of relaxing, joyful time together actually builds self-regulation because when human beings are having fun with each other and feel safe with each other and playing, whatever play means, even if it's five minutes a day, um, really helps build uh, work the muscles of self-regulation. So this is permission for you parents to, I know you're busy and I know it may seem like play is the last thing you could do. And that's okay. If you can't, you can't. But if there's a, a way to take a little bit of extra care about yourself, of yourself, especially now that the pandemic is shifting into less of a crisis situation to um, any amount of time you can spend having fun with your kids away from um, away from our tablets and, and TVs and videos, but just in regular play, it really builds self-regulation. So that's a, a parenting hack that I hope parents will enjoy themselves. You, you don't have to just have your child having fun. We should be having fun too. We should be having fun. Yes. It's hard. Like it, as adults, I think we forget that, that we once were fun loving beings as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fun now, but I, yeah, you're right. Right. And like not when we're task, younger. The task monsters. Like, I feel like I, I tend to gravitate to more today. <laughs> well, and again, for survival, we kind of have to be, but you two are fun people. Yeah. Channel your inner funness and re remember that for children and for ourselves, states of joy are really healthy for our immune system and for our physical bodies and our mental health. And we all need more joy right now. Things are, things have been hard. We, we do, do need more joy. We do. What, what do you have coming up, Mona, that you're excited about? Well, I am, well, I'm just so excited that this, this second book, this is the book I really wanted to write. I'm really excited that it's out in the world. And I think my next step I'm really excited about is that I'm going to be having a membership community where I can actually be with parents on a regular basis, get to know you, let you see wow. my family and my videotapes of me doing my work. And so I'm going to have a membership community starting probably May or June. That's exciting. Awesome. That's very exciting. And the the book is amazing. Mm. I am still, I'm still reading it. It's on my nightstand oh, right thanks. now as my book reading of choice. It, it's, it's got a lot of chapters. So read it as, you can. But, but it's good. And it's I love relaxing. I love how to relax. Like actually yeah. you're reading it and you're self you regulating go. your son. That's see? right. And all the stories you have about like kids and families you worked with are so helpful because they're so like perplexing situations. And it's almost <laughs> like, maybe it's me when I read this, I'm like, wow, she can solve this one. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I was hoping. It's like, okay, <laughs> let's see what she does with this family. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a joy, Mona. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You guys are the best. Take care. This this whole idea of really appreciating the senses and what our body's telling us about things, it's its really new, especially to us kids of the 80s and 90s who were told to just, you know, control your emotions and not let them get the better of you. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really frustrating thing, I think, for a lot of us because we we as parents, like we're just trying to help our kids gain the skills that they need moving forward, right? And so when they come to us and, and say that something is, oh, that place is too noisy or this is too too loud or um, I I you know like your example in the in the show about um about the car being too mm-hmm. bumpy we think that we need to teach them to have grit and push through it totally discounting that it might be like a completely sensory integration neurological thing yeah i mean right? how often do we give ourselves credit for the things that really bother us in our body like for instance with me i mean i've told you this before i cannot listen to music out of like a phone speaker Like it bothers me. It makes me all angsty inside. And I thought that was just a little like quirk of me, but it's how my brain is interpreting the outside stimuli and senses. And just knowing that makes me kinder to myself. Right. And it just knowing that. So like, that's the whole point of all this. Like what Mona's talking about, us being able to help co-regulate our children, help give them validity to what they're feeling and pointing out to them that some of those signals coming from their body is telling them something so they can read them. That's going to help them only build those that grit yeah. and those skills. And right? the whole how now self-regulation <laughs> is actually co-regulation and we don't have to teach it. We just have to practice it ourselves right. and bring our kids in, which is a lot less work on our end. So. Yeah, a lot more, a lot less of like go over there, practice breathing. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you and we will see you later. Thanks for stopping by. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.